0: informing America's farmers and ranchers. This is AOA, produced by the American Ag Radio Network. Now, here's your host, Jesse Allen. Welcome to a new episode of AOA,
1: Agriculture of America. Thank you so much for joining us as always as we talk about what is happening across rural America. I'm your host, Jesse Allen. We have another uh, busy show on tap for you here today. Coming up in segment two, we're going to talk with John Sticka, the president of Certified Angus Beef. They have the Feeding Quality Forum coming up here later on in the month of August. We're going to talk about that and catch up on. Uh, different issues impacting the beef industry. In segment three, Iowa Senator Chuck Grassley will be joining us and we'll talk to Senator Grassley about the farm bill, where do things stand? I know he's also working on payment limits in this farm bill once again. We're going to talk about that coming up here on the show. Also then in segment four, we have a few different uh, news headlines that we're going to take a look at, including EPA is uh, looking at the right to repair. There's been some talk about Certain manufacturers wanting to use the Clean Air Act as a reason to oppose right to repair. Well, EPA has affirmed farmers' right to repair. We're going to talk about that and other stories coming up here later on in the program. Kicking things off, though, here today, taking a look at what's happening in the markets. A busy week here on tap with the August WASDE report coming up on Friday. Joining us now, Jim McCormick with agmarket.net. Jim, great to have you on AOA with me. I hope you're doing well.
2: I'm doing well, Jesse. Thanks for having me on.
1: Jim, let's dive in and uh, talk markets here. And, you know, big picture heading into Friday with the August Wazdi report. Always a volatile report. And it feels like uh, here midweek, a little bit of consolidation trade, at least in corn and soybeans here with fairly benign weather and traders really just kind of gearing up for Friday's report, it feels like,
2: Jim. I think you nailed it right now. We are in a consolidation mode. Uh, This report, uh, Jesse, just reminded, you know, this is still kind of a guess. I mean, the reality is it's survey-based as well as looking at satellite-based to generate this data at a crop size. So the reality is there's still a lot of unknowns. So... I think the average trade guess is about a two bushel drop in corn and about a half a bushel drop in beans. A lot of that's based on the trade's estimate, based on the crop ratings and where they're at compared to historical giving us a lean. But the reality is, I think on Friday, the government's going to make some slight adjustments, but it's probably not going to make either the bull or the bear comfortable with what to do next. I think the reality is it's probably going to take more boots in the field. We're starting to get a few farmers looking the fields now, maybe at the big crop tours here at the end of the month. And it may actually take harvest before we really have a handle on what's out there. This late season rain is definitely helping the beans. It's helping put test weight on the corn. But there's still a lot of debate on how much damage might have been done to this crop when we had that extreme mm-hmm. heat drying weather especially there in the latter part of jim
1: well jim uh, having a little bit of a crackle with your microphone uh hopefully uh may think it might just be the internet uh connection there but i did catch most of what you said there and really just kind of looking ahead to this august report you know I, I think about corn you know we look at these corn five dollars november beans thirteen dollars those have felt like psychological levels here jim in this market trade and One has to wonder, depending on what USDA says on Friday, you know, with soybeans, that balance sheet a little bit tighter, feels like the fundamentals are are better for soybeans to give us, you know, $13 new crop beans or higher, whereas corn might be a bit tougher to stay above five, it feels like, Jim.
2: I agree with you. I mean, the, the difference is we are selling beans. We sold more beans to China. The reality is we're not just getting a whole lot of corn export sales. So you're not seeing the demand for corn like our beans. So that might give the beans a little bit more of a boost. Lowering supply, demand coming back in play. going to be supportive, like I said, corn worth searching for some demand on the export market.
1: Jim, how about in the wheat market trade? I know some pressure there. It feels like a, a lack of headlines out of the Black Sea region is one of the biggest issues we're dealing with there.
2: Right now we are. I think you know, the market tried to rally a couple headline stories recently and it failed. I think you got to be very cautious, Jesse. The reality is, look what Ukraine's done. They have attacked a Russian warships, They've attacked Russian miners. They've made it seem to me to kind of veiled threats that they may go after a grain ship. If they would take out a grain ship, the market would probably panic higher, as it could put a whole new dynamic to the world's wheat trade. If all of a sudden there's fear that you can't get grain out of out of Ukraine, but now you potentially can't get grain out of Russia. So something think producers, you know, or as traders, just need to be cognizant of there is still some legit war risk premium that could come rushing right back into the market under the right scenario.
1: Well, Jim, I know if folks want to reach out to you and the team there at agmarket.net, they can get a lot of great advice and stay close with things as we get uh, through this August report and beyond. I know you guys have a lot of great research available. They just uh, go to agmarket.net. Probably the best way to reach you, isn't it?
2: That's the best way, or call 844-424-6758.
1: Fantastic. Jim, appreciate the time. I know uh, whether it's on our end or your end, I know we were having a little bit of internet uh, lag there, but I do appreciate you jumping in. We'll get you back on the show here soon. And uh, thanks as always for being with us on AOA. All right, thank you. Thank you. Jim McCormick with AgMarket.net joining us here on the program today and we do appreciate his time and uh, do uh, apologize there a little bit of in and out uh, with Jim's feed and I'm thinking it might have been on our end so I do apologize about that Uh, he was good right as we were talking before we started the show so I do apologize about some of that with Jim and as we were talking about that WASD report coming up on Friday going to be very interesting and uh, a lot of folks are going to be watching to see what USDA does when it comes to corn yield and soybean yield, the trade expecting USDA to drop its corn yield by two bushels to 175.5 while they expect the USDA to drop the soybean yield by 0.7 bushels to 51.3 Will those numbers come to fruition? That remains to be seen as uh, you know, we're starting to get a lot of the private crop tours and private estimates happening around the country. And a lot of those crop tours are reporting that the recent rains really seem to help out this crop across the country, helped it kind of green up and rebound and kind of push forward so it'll be interesting to see what usda has to say in the august report no doubt uh, markets uh, could be volatile here as we get to that report on friday and really expecting some kind of consolidation trade in the market here as we work through uh the rest of the week so we'll be watching things closely again thanks to jim mccormick with agmarket.net for joining us and do apologize uh, for a little bit of that uh, internet uh, lag issue. It sounded like we were having with Jim. All right, coming up next, we are going to talk with John Sticker, the president of Certified Angus Beef. He is uh, talking to us about the upcoming Feeding Quality Forum that's going to be happening in Nebraska here in just a couple of weeks' time. We'll catch up on some other issues impacting the beef industry as well. We'll get to that next here on AOA Agriculture of America. Are you heading to the Farm Progress Show in Decatur? Stop by the Trelleborg booth on 10th Street and see Mike Pearson and me, Jesse Allen, broadcasting live. Learn about the HF-1000 and features that minimize soil compaction. We will be broadcasting live from Trelleborg booth 1062 from 9 to 10 a.m. on Tuesday, Wednesday, and Thursday from the Farm Progress Show. That's Trelleborg booth
3: 1062
1: from 9 to 10 a.m. We'll see you in Decatur.
3: At Great Plains, we engineer durable soil management, seeding, and planting equipment to help you get more out of every acre, harvest after harvest. United in purpose, driven by devotion, we work tirelessly to provide solutions so you can build a legacy that'll last. Visit your local dealer or go to greatplainsag.com today to lock in your order and unlock your potential. Great Plains, harvest starts here. Your grain cart, your auger
0: wagon, your grain buggy. Whatever you call it, whatever color, whoever's driving it. It serves a vital role in your operation every harvest. This year, make your grain cart the center of automated record keeping with a Harvest Make Grain Cart Bundle from Scaletech. Reliability when it matters most. Accessible records when you need them. Adaptable solutions to fit your operation. We've taken the time to make sure our rugged products adapt to fit your current scale systems. So you have one less thing to worry about when it's go time. Make a Harvest Bank Grain Car Bundle your partner in automated record keeping at scaletech.com. Scaletech. Your scale. Your way. informing America's farmers and ranchers, AOA. Now back to Jesse Allen.
1: Well, here during the summer months, we're busy with a lot of various meetings and farm shows and more happening across the country. And one of those meetings coming up here in just a few weeks' time is Feeding Quality Forum, put on by Certified Angus Beef. And joining us now to talk about that and catch up on issues impacting the cattle industry, the president of Certified Angus Beef, John Sticka, is with us. John, great to catch up with you again.
4: I'm doing well. It's always a pleasure to get the chance to visit with you.
1: John, let's dive in. Let's talk about Feeding Quality Forum coming up here just a a few weeks away. Sounds like a a pretty busy lineup for a couple of days. Can you give us the uh, details? When is the Feeding Quality Forum?
4: Yeah, well, this year's Feeding Quality Forum is going to be August 22nd and 23rd in Lincoln, Nebraska. And we're really excited. Last year, we held it in Kansas City, and it was the largest one that we've ever had. And we're looking forward to building on that momentum. Feeding Quality Forum for us has been something we've executed for a long, long time. And it really has, over the years, become our premier event for cattlemen and women seeking information on how to increase the premiums that they get for their cattle. And uh, it's an opportunity for us to really uh, showcase information for progressive minded, quality oriented ranchers and cattle feeders that are really looking to stay in tune with the changing dynamics that are driving profitability and uh, margin uh, within the beef industry. And so we're uh, hoping to have a big crowd in Nebraska. We expect that we will, and we have a full lineup of speakers that are gonna be there to focus on uh, everything from global markets to uh, dynamics within the beef grading uh, segment of our business, uh, the things that affect uh, our perception with consumers to uh, stewardship and sustainability uh, basically, every topic out there that is uh, shaping uh, what ultimately values uh, places of value on our cattle.
1: Well, and thinking about some of those topics you mentioned, uh, obviously, markets, huge topic right now, not just here in the uh, U.S., but the global picture as well. So great to see things like that. Of course, sustainability and more uh, for the forum. Now, if you're talking to ranchers, John, why would you encourage them to attend uh the forum here, if, if they've never been before, what would you say to them?
4: Well, I think there's a couple of different things. One, I think it is, uh, if they've never attended uh, it is one of the only events where we really look at the beef industry from a position and perspective, other than just a commodity mentality, you know, everything about the certified Angus beef brand and even in the name feeding quality forum Uh, is really focused on on that quality aspect of our business. If you look at where beef demand has been generated over the last several years, it hasn't been in the commodity sector. It's been in prime, certified Angus beef, upper two thirds choice. That's been where the growth in beef demand has come from. And for any producer who believes they produce better than average cattle, to, to realize that value, you have to know how to position and market those cattle to get better than average prices. Uh, and uh, that's really one of the things that we have really focused on, whether it's a seed stock producer, a commercial cattleman, a cattle feeder, um, knowing what those market drivers are and how you align your genetics and management is key. Uh, The other thing too, it gives us an opportunity to talk about the merchandising side of our business. Uh, At the very beginning, before the forum actually starts, we have our beef blitz that uh, also is an opportunity for folks to sign up to uh, tour the Cisco Lincoln food service distribution facility uh, and understand how our beef products get from, from the packer ultimately to the restaurateurs that we depend on to keep the product in front of diners and keep our, our beef and certified Angus beef at the center of the plate. We're also going to hear from other leaders and, and recognized leaders in the industry with our Industry Achievement Award, where Steve Hunt, former CEO of U.S. Premium Beef, will be recognized uh, in that evening program Uh that banquet meal during feeding quality forum. So there's a lot to do, a lot of people to talk to, but ultimately, I think the knowledge of how this industry is changing is the reason I would encourage producers to attend.
1: Well, I know producers can get signed up here ahead of time. I'm sure certifiedangusbeef.com beef.com a great place to start, or I know as well. I'm, I'm looking at it right now as we're talking events.certifiedangusbeef.com forward slash. FQF 2023. I know that's a little bit of a long (laughs) (laughs) address there, but I I know uh, both ways. I'm sure folks can find the details to get registered ahead of time, right, John? You're
4: you're right. And and for simplicity, go to feedingqualityforum.com and that'll that'll be a great place to start, feedingqualityforum.com.
1: I should have just asked you for that. I figured you probably had it there for us. John, let's uh, let's turn our attention a little bit here as well to just some of the initiatives going on with Certified Angus Beef right now. I know there's a lot of great things happening outside of just talking about the Feeding Quality Forum. Can you touch on some of the latest brand initiatives you guys have going on?
4: Yeah, I would, I would start on the producer side. One of the things that's always been a focal point, and you might be aware, is is Uh, Paul Dykstra authors our CAB Insider, and that continues to be a great source of information. And so one of our initiatives is to continue to keep that information out in front of of, uh, producers that want to know where the quality market is. And so I would encourage folks to go to cabcattle.com and subscribe to CAB Insider for that updated information. Um, Also, uh, Beef Quality Assurance continues to be a huge initiative of ours. Uh, Beef Quality Assurance training has been around for a long, long time, but what we know is that we have continued interest among end users to uh, know more about how cattle are handled and cattle husbandry, and as they learn more about beef quality assurance and the certification that comes with it among producers, we know that in most cases, it increases the trust in our industry among 70% of of end users and consumers out there, so we continue to push that as well as a big initiative, but You know, on the on the end user side, a big portion of our attention right now is really dedicated towards interacting with our customers to prepare them for the changes in supply dynamics that we're going to see moving forward. If that's helping to prepare them today for a much tighter supply of ribs for uh, the Christmas holiday, um, we're spending an exorbitant amount of time just helping food service distributors, retailers, exporters understand exactly that how tight this supply very much could get moving into into the last part of this year and then what it's going to look like over the next couple of years. So that's a big part of what we do. Beyond that, it all comes down to education here just this week. We had a group of chefs uh, at a ranch in South Dakota learning all about what goes on in the day and life of a a farming and ranching family, understanding that grassroots production, understanding and getting to meet the people uh, that produce this product. So that was taking place in South Dakota and here in, in Worcester, we hosted a group from uh, 10 different international countries, all representing certified Angus beef. Again, educating them on beef quality, educating them on the things that drive demand, educating them on uh, the importance of, uh, of, uh, of, uh, of understanding the science behind the sizzle, if you will. And so uh, when you talk about initiatives, it really doesn't matter here. It's usually focused on education in one form or another, either in the field, literally, or here at our culinary center uh, in Worcester, Ohio. And, and lastly, probably as we talk about things that really get me excited, uh, we just uh, finalized that uh, um, which students that are going back to school here in the fall are gonna be among those to receive uh, over $81,000 in scholarship money coming through the Certified Angus Beef Nick Colvin Scholarship Fund. So um, that's an initiative that always brings a smile to our face to be able to support that next generation.
1: A lot of great things going on with certified Angus beef and the brand. John, I, I want to just ask you real quick. You, you made mention to this, looking at the, the supply challenges that might be in front of us here. We we know it's no secret that our uh, our herd is getting smaller here as we have one of the uh, lowest uh, herd numbers in, in quite some time. But yet, I see beef demand remains pretty strong, both domestically and internationally, even with a smaller herd right now. I, can you share some thoughts, just how robust demand is remaining for that certified Angus beef here at the Beat case and Beyond, even with uh, a smaller herd that we're going to have to rebuild?
4: Excellent. You know, that's been one of the most consistent things that's driven excitement in our brand. and I think the industry as a whole – has been how robust as you put it demand has been you know from a certified angus beef perspective uh, we're having a a phenomenal year and actually with the exception of domestic retail business and in lieu of maybe not getting quite as many ad features as we would normally get um, uh, our business is up in every single category this year we're up in international sales we're up in food service sales uh, we're up in prime sales, up in natural sales, you know. And so uh, we're having a phenomenal year. Value added products are up. And so demand is, is very robust, as you put it. And I think what we've realized is, yeah, folks do buy or take into account price point. But the reality is, is that it's always price in relation to value. And I think what we've seen over the last number of years, and thank goodness we all collectively as an industry invested in building a better product, giving consumers a more satisfying product because we're asking them to pay a lot more. Uh, but the reality is, is they like the products that we put out there. They aren't going to allow us to go backward on quality, which means they're, they've been willing to pay more for it. Uh, and even though there's uh, less of it out there. So I mean we're going to move through this, uh, this tighter supply as an industry um, for the next couple of years. Uh, but I don't see demand backing off because we've delivered a product that people like. And uh, it's going to be a great opportunity to see farming and ranching country hopefully be the beneficiary of some of the financial incentives that consumers are willing to put down when they buy uh, a great tasting steak and hopefully certified Angus beef at both retail and food service around the world.
1: Well, we appreciate it with that. John Sticka, president, certified Angus beef. Thanks for joining us today. Thank you. All right. Up next,
5: we'll talk with Iowa Senator Chuck Grassley here on AOA. Did you know Henry Ford's Model T was designed to run on either gasoline or corn ethanol? After wheat and rice, corn is the third most cultivated crop. Over half of all the corn grown in the United States is grown in four states, Illinois, Iowa, Minnesota, and Nebraska. A typical year has about 800 kernels in 16 rows. Corn will always have an even number of rows on each cob. One variety of corn grown in Peru has kernels so large that they are eaten individually. These Farm Facts brought to you by the American Ag Network.
0: Informing America's farmers and ranchers. AOA. Now back to Jesse Allen. Well, growing up in rural Floyd
1: County, Iowa, just one county north of our next guest's home, I feel like I've had kind of a front row seat in many ways as I watched all the things he's done for his constituents and rural Americans. And throughout my farm broadcast career, I've only been able to speak with him in passing, but Now as the new host of AOA, I get an opportunity for a one-on-one conversation. I hope it's the first of many. Joining us now, Iowa Senator Chuck Grassley is with us. And Senator Grassley, it is great to speak with you today, sir. How are you?
6: Uh, Very good. I'm glad to answer your questions.
1: Well, thank you for the time, and as I was mentioning, uh, you know, growing up as a rural uh, Floyd County, Iowa kid, just one county north of uh, yours there in Butler County, I was uh, home to see my mom here, saw the crops looking pretty good in Floyd County. How are things looking on the home farm there in Butler County?
6: Well, they look pretty good except on sandy knolls, Uh, they're firing, they look pretty good, but I think our ears are going to be smaller. I put out the rain gauge May 1st, take it down October 1st, and we're seven inches short of a year ago, and then don't forget we're in the third year of a drought in this part of the United States, uh, and that hasn't occurred since going back to 2010, so it seems to me we're going to have a shorter crop than we had last year. I'd be surprised if we don't.
1: Well, Senator Grassley, uh, we'll see what happens as that crop continues along. Let's talk farm bill. And I know we've been hearing that uh, meeting that September 30th deadline may not happen. Where are we at with the farm bill? What are some of the major sticking points that you're hearing right now?
6: So far, the only sticking point I've heard is on food stamps. Uh, 84% of what you call a farm bill, it ought to be called a food stamp bill when you get 84% percent of the money it's not going to farmers it's going to uh, city people maybe some rural people as well Uh, it and it's not uh, only about 15 16 percent of it is safety net for farmers in other words protecting farmers against things that are beyond their control so that's the only uh, sticking point that I see at this point there might be some minor ones that uh, haven't been talked about much and I'm not anticipating what those would be right now until we get down to that point. But uh, it won't be done by September 30th. But the good good news is Senator Stabenow told me that we won't have to pass a one-year extension of the existing farm bill, which we occasionally have done in the past. Uh, and then uh, the, uh, the, the last bit of good news I can tell you is that this is one of the ten things that Schumer announced about July the 10th that he wants to get done between now and Christmas. So if the Farm Bill is top on his agenda, it should get done, and uh, hopefully it will.
1: And it feels like I've heard the talk it, of getting something like done by the end of the calendar year. Is, is that what business you're business hearing business as well, Senator Grassley? Uh,
6: yeah, in fact, uh, that was implied in my first answer to your question. I didn't say so. It won't be done by September 30th, but according to uh, chairman of the committee, it would be done by the end of the year. And then to repeat, uh, Schumer said it was going to be one of the top ten things that he wants to get done before Christmas.
1: Okay, fantastic, fantastic. I know you've fantastic. renewed your push for payment limits in the farm bill, and I believe it was a two hundred fifty thousand dollar hard cap on farm payments you've introduced. Can you talk about that a little bit? Where do things stand with, with that push for payment limits, Senator Grassley? Push for payment limits, Senator. Well,
6: it was just introduced by a Democrat, Senator Brown of Ohio, and me, and we did it because ten percent of the biggest farmers get 70% of the benefits out of the uh, farm program. Uh, We don't find any fault with farmers getting bigger because most every farmer has gotten somewhat bigger or or, uh, uh, greatly bigger uh, over the last uh, 30 or 40 years uh, because farms become more efficient. So we don't find fault with that, but we don't think we ought to subsidize the 10% of the biggest farmers to drive up the price of land or the price of cash rent to make it more difficult for other people to get started farming, particularly young farmers. And particularly when the average age of farmers is about 58 years of age, we gotta have an environment so younger people can get started uh, farming. And uh, that's the reason we're putting it into effect. In other words, by the cap of $250,000, Uh, Every farmer can get up to that much, regardless of whether you're big or small farmers, but the farm program ought to be geared towards uh, uh, helping uh, people with a safety net that they can't control their own destiny when you have inflation, you have uh, uh, political problems, you have the war in Ukraine, you have the natural disasters. None of this can a farmer protect themselves against except by buying crop insurance. And, uh, and uh, they need, if they need some more help, they ought to get it. But if you're farming ten or 15,000 acres, you ought to be able to see yourself through those things. Plus the second and most important thing is we shouldn't subsidize big farmers to get bigger.
1: Senator Grassley, I know just a few days ago you were in Northwest Iowa talking about biofuel and E-15 infrastructure at the Fuel Iowa Summer Board meeting. And I know we've seen efforts again by the uh, governors of Nebraska, Iowa, trying to push EPA to create uh, year-round E-15 sales, let those, let those waivers go. What's your thoughts on the, what's happening surrounding E-15 and just the biofuel industry right now?
6: i'm focusing upon what senator fisher of nebraska and senator Capito of uh... west virginia are trying to do now west virginia is not a big ethanol producing state but she's the uh, ranking republican on the environment committee and uh... getting those two republican senators to work with senator carper we're hoping we can get a bill to get e fifteen year-round that's our major goal now Klobuchar and Grassley and Ernst have in a separate bill, but it seems to me this is the best opportunity, Fisher, Capito, and Carper. And we're thinking that maybe the White House might be looking favorably at this, which would be a complete shock to me if they are. But there's this feeling about the White House interest in this bill. comes from the fact that uh, governors of several states have the authority under the EPA regulation or law to institute EP, uh, uh, E15 year-round, and maybe the administration is a little bit embarrassed when governors can do that, uh, but the EPA steps in and says you can't sell it during June, July, August, uh, until September 15th. And uh, that's just not the way to run a business, that's not the way to have a biofuels program, it's not the way to help the environment.
1: Senator Grassley, you mentioned uh, Senator, Senator Deb Fischer in there from Nebraska. Senator I know uh, the Cattle Price Discovery Brown. Transparency <coughs> Act. Can you uh, get us up to speed? Where do we stand on that legislation?
6: Well, uh, we uh, we're going to fight for it. Uh, met with Fischer and a couple other senators, including Senator Tester, our lead Democrat on that, and we're we're just going to push uh, uh, Schumer to get it up. And considering how this administration, and I thank them for being, uh, making sure the competitive market is working, and through the FTC, the Justice Department, I think they're doing a pretty good job of it. In this case, we've got to get the big four uh, meat uh, packers under control, and our legislation would do that because we want to help the Iowa, Nebraska, Minnesota, Midwestern uh, cattle feeders, that want to market uh, on a daily basis, not contract ahead. They can't get a market today, and we ought to make sure that they get a, uh, a market and a fair price. And that's what this legislation would do, and we will hope that, that uh, Schumer is going to put it on the agenda and get, get the darn thing up for debate.
1: Well, Senator Grassley, as well, Proposition 12, Uh, we've heard some chatter now that the Supreme Court has upheld that in California that maybe there could be a legislative fix. I know some folks in the hog industry are are looking for that. Do you anticipate something like that could happen here in Congress?
6: I anticipate that being a part of the Farm Bill. I think Senator Marshall that's leading that effort, along with Grassley and, uh, and Ernst and other people, we got a lot of co-sponsors of that legislation that would uh, take advantage of the constitutional power of Congress to regulate foreign and interstate commerce, that we can pass this legislation and override Proposition 12 in California, and then Iowa pork producers will be able to sell their their, uh, pork in California. Otherwise, they'd be prohibited from selling it.
1: Well, Senator Chuck Grassley, I appreciate the time here on AOA. Thanks so much for joining us. I look forward to having uh, another conversation with you down the road. Thanks so much, sir. Have a great rest of your day.
6: Goodbye. Thank you.
1: Senator Chuck Grassley from Iowa joining us here today on AOA, and we appreciate his time and thoughts there. And sounds like Farm Bill might not get done by september 30th but sounds like something that will get done by christmas time by the end of the year and we'll be continuing to watch and see what happens with what's going on on capitol hill all right coming up next we're going to take a look at some news headlines including epa affirming farmers right to repair we'll talk about that and more stories coming up next as we're back with more on aoa aquaculture of america right after this Are you heading to the Farm Progress Show in Decatur? Stop by the Trelleborg booth on 10th Street and see Mike Pearson and me, Jesse Allen, broadcasting live. Learn about the HF-1000 and features that minimize soil compaction. We will be broadcasting live from Trelleborg booth 1062 from 9 to 10 a.m. on Tuesday, Wednesday, and Thursday from the Farm Progress Show. That's Trelleborg booth 1062 from 9 to 10 a.m. We'll see you
0: in Decatur. Your grain cart, your auger wagon, your grain buggy. Whatever you call it, whatever color, whoever's driving it. It serves a vital role in your operation every harvest. This year, make your grain cart the center of automated record keeping with a Harvest Make Grain Cart Bundle from Scaletech. Reliability when it matters most. Accessible records when you need them. Adaptable solutions to fit your operation. We've taken the time to make sure our rugged products adapt to fit your current scale systems. So you have one less thing to worry about when it's go time. Make a harvest Make grain car Fundo your partner in automated record keeping at scaletech.com.
3: Scaletech. Your scale. Your way. At Great Plains, we engineer durable soil management, seeding, and planting equipment to help you get more out of every acre, harvest after harvest. United in purpose, driven by devotion, we work tirelessly to provide solutions so you can build a legacy that'll last. Visit your local dealer or go to greatplainsag.com today to lock in your order and unlock your potential. Great Plains, harvest starts here.
0: Informing America's Farmers and Ranchers, AOA. Now back to Jesse Allen. And welcome back
1: to AOA. Thank you for joining us here on today's program. We always appreciate it. Jesse Allen back with you here in studio. Let's take a look at a few news headlines. Want to share these before we run out of time here today. Well, in a letter to the National Farmers Union, the Environmental Protection Agency affirmed that the Clean Air Act cannot be used as a basis to restrict independent repair of farm equipment. In their opposition to to right-to-repair legislation, many equipment manufacturers and dealers have invoked EPA regulations and the Clean Air Act specifically related to tampering with emissions control systems as justification for their need to restrict repair. National Farmers Union Vice President of Advocacy Mike Strands explains more.
7: One of the arguments that has been made in opposition to allowing farmers the right to repair is that these equipment manufacturers have invoked EPA regulations, particularly the Clean Air Act, as justification for their need to control and restrict repair. Uh, The thought being, I guess, that tampering or altering emissions control systems would result if farmers were given the right to repair.
1: And Strands also says that NFU has asked the EPA for clarification on this point, and EPA, the agency that oversees the Clean Air Act, has responded with a letter on the matter.
7: We got a letter from EPA Administrator Michael Regan talking about how the importance of right to repair is there and that uh, using the justification that emissions control systems would be in jeopardy if farmers were allowed the right to repair just doesn't stand up as something with the Clean Air Act. So it was good to get that clarity from EPA that using the Clean Air Act as an excuse for not allowing farmers the right to repair just doesn't hold water.
1: Now, NFU President Rob LaRue said, quote, EPA confirmed what farmers have known all along. Equipment manufacturers have been using bad faith justifications to restrict independent repair. And EPA Administrator Michael Regan stated that, quote, like NFU and its members, EPA believes barriers to the proper repair and maintenance of non-road equipment is harmful to the environment, end quote. Now, NFU strongly supports a federal legislative solution that guarantees farmers and independent mechanics the right to repair farm equipment on fair and reasonable terms and costs. Well, the National Cattlemen's Beef Association slammed President Biden's use of the Antiquities Act to put sweeping federal designations on over a million additional acres of land in Arizona. NCBA President Todd Wilkinson says, quote, NCBA strongly opposed to the continued abuse of the Antiquities Act, and we urge President Biden to listen to the local communities that will be hurt by this designation, end quote. Now, the organization says the designation adds insult to injury for communities that are unheard and intentionally removed from land management conservations. Additionally, the Biden administration failed to communicate with the affected landowners prior to the designation and their so-called public opinion meeting and poll failed to gather perspective for the people most impacted by this decision. The Antiquities Act gives the President of the United States broad power to establish national monuments from existing federal lands. NCBA says the designations are especially harmful to rural communities that rely on federal lands for their livelihood, such as public lands ranchers. Well, Smithfield Foods is going to close 35 hog farm operations in Missouri, according to a state-required workforce adjustment notification. The notice indicated 92 employees would be affected by the closures slated for August. Murphy Brown LLC, a division of Smithfield Foods, is reducing hog farming operations in Missouri and must reduce its workforce accordingly, a company spokesperson told the St. Louis Post-Dispatch. Now, employees impacted by the closures were offered the chance to relocate to other hog-producing facilities operated by the company. Smithfield Foods is the world's largest pork processor and is owned by Hong Kong's WH Group. Now, the announcement follows Tyson Foods plans to close four chicken processing plants across the United States. Tyson plans to close operations next year at four facilities located in Arkansas, Indiana, and Missouri. Now, the U.S. meat industry is facing demand struggles in both pork and poultry thanks to increased prices and inflation amid higher feed and labor costs. Well, the rate of cow herd expansion in the U.S. will be something to watch as prices increase, according to CattleFax CEO Randy Block. Looking at the latest cattle inventory report released by USDA, Block says the July beef cow numbers are the smallest on record, going back to around 1970.
8: Beef cow slaughters down about 700,000 ahead in 2023, but that's still a liquidation pace. I mean, when you think about where we've gone and how much we've downsized, I mean, we've got to see beef cow slaughter drop further than that to actually get us back into expansion.
1: Well, as an industry, Block says cow liquidation and heifer retention have not begun in large fashion yet, but it is coming. Block added that he could see producers retaining females from this current calf crop.
8: We've got too much financial incentive now for producers, you know, with calf prices this much above the cost production, we'll start retaining. I think the rate of expansion will be interesting, you know, with interest rates where they are today, again, if you look at the cost of of interest at the cow-calf level, at the stocker level, and at the feed yard level, you add all those together and it's close to a $200 bill today. That's what it takes to go all the way through the system. That by itself is going to be limiting factor.
1: While many places are doing better than this time last year, moisture-wise, Block says many are still suffering with high input costs matched with high cattle prices. Block adds risk management will become increasingly important. Well, also, red meat buyers from Central and South America and the Caribbean recently met with U.S. suppliers in Colombia during the 11th edition of the U.S. Meat Export Federation Latin American Product Showcase. With 70 U.S. exporting companies exhibiting at the showcase, 220 importers had the opportunity to meet U.S. suppliers and arrange purchases of a wide range of U.S. red meat products. Now the value and versatility of underutilized pork, beef and lamb cuts were a focus of the educational activities during the showcase. U.S. industry leaders in attendance also toured a distribution center and several types of retail outlets. Randy Spronk, a farmer from Edgerton, Minnesota, who serves as USMEF chair-elect, attended his third Latin American product showcase. He says, quote, it's great for those that fund USMEF to be able to see what those funds actually do and show the return on their investment, end quote. Well, we are about out of time here on AOA. Just want to mention this as well. The 2023 DTN Digital Yield Tour powered by Grow Intelligence is ongoing this week. And on Monday, they announced a national corn yield forecast of 177 bushels per acre and a soybean yield of 51 bushels per acre. It's the sixth year of the tour, and they take an in-depth look using Grow's daily yield models, which are generated with satellite imagery, rainfall data, temperature maps, and other data. We're going to talk about it here in a couple of days on the show with Katie Dellinger. Farm Business Editor at DTN Coming up tomorrow on AOA we're going to have a conversation with House Ag Chairman Glenn G.T. Thompson from Pennsylvania. We're out of time thanks for joining us here on Agriculture of America. I'm Jesse Allen have a fantastic rest of your day
5: Did you know Henry Ford's Model T was designed to run on either gasoline or corn ethanol? After wheat and rice, corn is the third most cultivated crop. Over half of all the corn grown in the United States is grown in four states, Illinois, Iowa, Minnesota, and Nebraska. A typical year has about 800 kernels in 16 rows. Corn will always have an even number of rows on each cob. One variety of corn grown in Peru has kernels so large that they are eaten individually. These Farm Facts brought to you by the American Ag Network.